Welcome. I'm Paul Bishop, your host for this installment of Six Gun Justice Conversations. These are bonus downloads where my co-host Richard Prosh or I get to hang around the virtual Six Gun Justice podcast water cooler, talking with friends and fellow writers who are also fans of the Western genre. With me today is Ivor Davis, an international crime and entertainment journalist and best-selling author of the revealing new book, Manson Exposed, a reporter's 50-year journey into madness and murder, which was published in July of 2019 and is an eyewitness account of his half-century covering the notorious murders. His previous books include the brilliantly engaging The Beatles and Me on Tour, a personal account of his travels with the Beatles on their first American tour in 1964. And if you're wondering how all of this ties into Westerns, hang on to your hat, because we're going to get there in just a second. As a foreign correspondent, he has written widely on movies for the London Daily Express, The Times of London, The New York Times Syndicate, and Los Angeles Magazine. Hello, my friend, and welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be with you, Paul. This is really cool because you and I were having lunch last week and you began regaling me with stories about your time on the sets of numerous Western movies. And I said, Ivor, you got to hang on for a second because we're going to do this on the air. So I'm really happy to have you with me today. Thank you. Your first John Wayne Western was Sons of Katie Elder. How did you come about getting to that set and covering the movie? Very simply, what happened was in 1965, John Wayne had undergone massive lung cancer surgery. And the office said, go out to his movie because he's going straight back into a strenuous Western in Mexico, of all places, where, frankly, medical coverage is a little bit on the slow side. So our five went to Durango, Mexico to interview John Wayne and see how he fared in this movie. He was being directed in the movie by Henry Hathaway, who was a real toughie. And it was an interesting film because it also co-starred another guy, not actually known for his fabulous Western appearances, a guy called Dean Martin. So off I went. And when I got there, Wayne behaved like a 21-year-old. He did his own stunts. And so I said, why are you doing your own stunts, Mr. Wayne? And he said, well, Henry Hathaway says, well, what's one lost lung? You can do it. And he did do it. It was crazy, but he did it. And so I got a little bit friendly with him then and saw him operating and doing the stunts himself, which was really unbelievable. He could have got a double to do it. And as most of your listeners know, some of the great movie stars got doubles to do their more hair-raising stunts. But John Wayne was John Wayne, and a man's got to do what a man's got to do, right? John Wayne was exactly as you saw him. He was a toughie. I like a man's got to do what a man's got to do is his motto, his credo, because that was the way he operated his entire life. He was a big, ambling guy who went way back in the cowboy Western movie genre. When I saw him on another film a few years later called Brannigan, in which he played an American detective from Chicago who went over to England to uh, apprehend a fugitive, Wayne was doing very well. So after he made the film, of course, in London, and I wrote for London, he invited me to his house to interview him. So I show up at his beautiful house on Newport Beach, and John Wayne said to me, I'm not feeling great. I just had some dental surgery. They gave me numbing stuff and I'm easing the numbing with a few glasses of tequila. And at this beautiful house, 
I sat down with Wayne. We had dinner. He didn't eat much. He drank quite a bit. And he said to me, Ivor, come and see this photo book. And I thought he was going to show me one of those big color books of cowboy stars, Western heroes. Believe it or not, he pulled out a book, ballet dancers, ballet dancers, seriously. And he looked at a picture of Dame Margot Fontaine, one of the greatest ballet dancers in the world. And he said, that is beauty. That is grace. That is what it's all about. Can you believe me sitting with John Wayne, admiring ballet dancers? I never forgot that evening. A few years later, I went to see the appearance John Wayne made at the Oscar show. He was very, very ill. And soon after that, the Duke died. He was a real original, as most of you know, a genuine American hero. And his movies are still enjoyed by many today. Absolutely. When you were with him on the Sons of Katie Elder set, you said Dean Martin was there as well. Did you have any interaction with him? Dean Martin was very funny, and he entertained John Wayne and kept him in high spirits. Dean Martin was not noted for his cowboy films, so he was having tremendous fun. This was in Mexico, of course, in Durango. And at night, after shooting, they almost took over the town, and both of them went to the local bars and entertained the locals by buying everybody drinks and getting a little bit potted themselves, even though the next morning early they had to show up on the film set. Dean Martin was a different personality to Wayne, but they became buddies on that film. You also were on the set of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid? Yes, and I'll tell you why, if I may. It was in 1969, and it was a presidential election year, and my office in London said, go down and talk to Paul Newman because he is supporting a guy called Senator Eugene McCarthy. So off I went to Mexico to interview Paul Newman. It was in Cuernavaca, which was a lovely town. The film company had taken over the town, taken over the hotel. And I sat down with Paul Newman to discuss politics and movies. Now, I should tell you that the publicist on the film said to me, Ivor, do me a big favor, would you? Everybody has come here to talk to Paul Newman. His co-star is being completely neglected. Would you sit down with his co-star? You don't even have to put tape in your tape recorder, but interview him because he's being neglected. I said, sure, why not? And of course, the guy I sat down and interviewed for a wonderful hour was his co-star, Robert Redford, who was charming. And I'll tell you this, Paul Newman was very approachable. He was charming. He tried to become friendly with the locals, saying, we come into their town, we disrupt them. You have to be nice to them and talk to them. So one night I go into the beautiful hotel in Kuala Vaca and I continue my interview with Paul Newman and he orders a bottle of the finest French brandy. And Paul Newman and I sat there talking about politics and movies. That's very cool. There was a wonderful actor called Strother Martin and Paul had met Martin in a movie called Call Hand Luke. Do you remember the great line that Strother Martin says to Newman? What we have here is a failure to communicate. Exactly. Exactly. You've got it. You hit the nail on the head. This is a side road. I knew Strother Martin. I got friendly with him. He lived in Malibu Lake. I used to go to his house where he served afternoon tea overlooking Malibu Lake. And he was such a great villain. He was one of the best villains in every film he played. And there he was having afternoon English tea with you. 
overlooking Malibu Lake at a beautiful house where he lived. It's one of those funny things you remember. But I must jump back to my night with Paul Newman drinking very expensive French brandy. And I want to tell you, I couldn't do it today. We finished a bottle of brandy. I staggered back to my room and I spent the night asleep on the floor in the bathroom, throwing up all night. The next morning, I felt like death warmed up. I staggered onto the film set and there was Paul Newman looking as fresh as a daisy. I said, how did you do it? And he claimed that what he does when he gets too inebriated is he jumps into a sauna and sweats it all out of his system and then goes into a cold swimming pool. Well, I've tried it a few times since then, and it doesn't work for me. It worked for Paul magnificently. That's funny. Absolutely. While you were there and you interviewed Robert Redford, what did he have to say? When I spoke to Robert Redford, he was a charming gentleman, a good-looking young man, and he talked about the downhill racer, which was about the ski bum who'd romantically inclined. He loved skiing, and he ended up living in Utah. But let me tell you one little punchline to that. Robert Redford looked phenomenal. Then I saw him years later, after he'd made a movie called Havana, and all of a sudden, Robert Redford looked much older, very old. And the reason I believe he looked that old was because he'd spent so much time in the sun on the ski slopes. It was just one of those kind of silly observations. You see him in early movies and then suddenly you see him several years later. My God, Robert Redford looked not quite Methuselah, but surprisingly old. And those two visions of Redford always stayed with me. The sun damage is incredible and it's too bad. Yes, You also went to Israel on the set of another film, a sort of spaghetti western type of film. Tell us about that. Well, that was strange. I'd gone to Israel partially to do a story about the booming Israeli film industry. But by chance, they were shooting a Hollywood western in the desert in Israel. Now, most people who went to Israel shot Israeli desert settings. But for some reason, I think it was to do with Israel giving them big tax breaks on shooting there. So I go to this movie, which is called Madron, and it stars the fabulous Leslie Caron, who plays a nun who is a survivor from a band of outlaws who've attacked her. And she meets this curmudgeonly cowboy played by Richard Boone. I mean, everybody remembers Richard Boone. Boone is a grizzled gunfighter, and he becomes her protector, although he's a little bit irascible. So there we are in the middle of the Israeli desert. And what I remember vividly was that every morning when I went on the set, there were about 60 Israelis lined up behind each other with their shirts off. And I thought, what's going on here? Are they being paid? No, they lined up and their chests were being shaved because the Israelis apparently have hairy chests. It's one of those things I never knew. These guys, they were basically extras, but they were playing American Indians. And American Indian in the movies don't have hairy chests. So to guarantee they looked like American Indians, there was two guys shaving the Israelis' chests. To come away from Israel with that vision in my mind is ridiculous, but it really happened. The movie wasn't that successful, but the Israeli chests as American Indians was a smash hit. I can imagine that coming away with a vision of Leslie Caron would have been a lot nicer than a bunch of Israelis getting their chest chased, but there you go. Absolutely. What other Western sets were you involved in? 
Well, I wouldn't say I was involved in the Western sets, and I'm going to kind of cheekily turn it around a bit because in 1969, I went to the Spahn Movie Ranch. As most people may know, the Spahn Movie Ranch is where Charles Manson lived with his ladies, his crazy disciples. And so I went out to the ranch to see what was going on. But the reason I bring it up was the Spawn Movie Ranch was used by dozens, scores of Hollywood film companies to shoot westerns. It had a great terrain and there were a lot of great westerns made there. When I saw it, it had fallen into disrepute. And the reason why the Spawn Ranch was no longer being used by Hollywood was financial reasons. It was cheaper to go to Italy which takes us, in a way, to the spaghetti westerns that you are very familiar with. I love the spaghetti westerns because they boosted the career of a guy called Clint Eastwood, who went on, I think, to do fairly well. <laughs> Just a little bit. It's one of the things you and I touched upon when we had lunch the other day was Frank Sinatra. And you informed me that Sinatra had made a few westerns, which surprised me. Johnny Concho was one of them. You're right. Johnny Concho was Sinatra's first Western. It starred Keenan Wynn and William Conrad and Phyllis Kirk. I think there was another Western Sinatra made in 1970 called Dirty Dingus McGee, which was described as a kind of Western. <laughs> and Sinatra was described as he's a sort of cowboy. Sinatra did become fabulously well known for his Westerns. Dirty Dingus McGee had another great character in it. You and I know Jack Elam. I got to know Jack fairly well because whenever I came through from L.A. to Santa Barbara for a weekend retreat or getaway, I stopped at a place called the Pierpont Inn in Ventura, California. And always there at a table was Jack himself. You couldn't miss him because he lost an eye. He was a great character. He loved to talk. I went to visit him in a mansion in Montecito. He didn't live in a ramshackle place. He really earned a lot of money. And Jack told me this story. He said he wanted to buy a magnificent house in Ventura, California. The house today is worth maybe $5 million. In that period, Jack made an offer of $125,000. The owner of the house, a very religious Catholic lady, said yes so before escrow closed, Jack went along and was taken around the house by this lady. Under the house was a gigantic chapel she had built to worship privately. And she said to Jack, I know you will enjoy this house. I know you will enjoy my chapel. And Jack said something that he lived to regret. He said, I love the place. I love the chapel. And I'm going to turn the chapel into my own saloon bar. Ouch. Exactly. And you know what happened? The lady pulled out and Jack told the story against himself. And I think it's such a true, funny story. If he kept his mouth shut, I don't know. But there it is. Ouch indeed. Ouch indeed. Ivor, thank you very much for being with me today. It's great to talk to you. I'm hoping you and I will have lunch again soon. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Be sure to check out the Six Gun Justice website at www.sixgunjustice.com for information on prior Six Gun Justice conversations, Six Gun Justice speed listens, and full-length episodes of the Six Gun Justice podcast, along with regularly updated book reviews, articles, and interviews covering all aspects of the Western genre. Until next time, be kind to others, be kind to yourself, and make sure your chaps don't chafe. Adios. 
We're out of here. Let's ride. 